Okay, uh, we're studying in the book of Romans. Uh, oh, my clicker ain't, oh, I ain't got it turned on. It won't work if it's turned off, will it? There he goes. Romans chapter 10. We got a few verses to finish up on this one. Uh, let's just uh, finish up uh, where we left off last week. Uh, Gentiles, the point that Paul's uh, uh, making is Gentiles uh, were going to be added to the kingdom of God. This was prophesied long ago. Uh, and he's, uh, this is the work he does. He goes and preaches to Gentiles. And the Jews, of course, they're upset about it because Gentiles have no business in the kingdom of God. So there's a big fuss, and Paul's trying to explain to them uh, that this was always God's plan. Uh, I say, he asks in verse 19, did Israel not know that the Gentiles would be added to the kingdom? Moses first said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Deuteronomy 32, 21 is where that's from. Well, in Acts 13, we see that this is exactly what happened. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, jealous, contradicting, blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. This is exactly what Moses said would happen. Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that is the apostles, in particular Paul that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they believed. Uh, those who uh, believed the teachings of Paul uh, were added to the church. But Isaiah is very bold also, and he said, this is from Isaiah 65 and verse 1, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. They weren't looking for me, but they found me anyway. Uh, I was revealed to them, and they didn't even ask for me to be revealed. Uh, this, of course, is an allusion to the Gentile peoples. But to Israel, it's just the opposite. 65 and verse 2, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, the Gentiles weren't looking for the Lord, but they found him. The Israelites supposedly had the Lord, and yet they missed him. It, it's irony that's involved in all this. And this is something they all were aware of because uh, the prophets had prophesied that uh, this was what was going to happen, that uh, the Gentiles would accept Jehovah and the Jews uh, would not. Now in uh, chapter 11, <clears throat> 
Israel is not wholly cast off, not totally cast off. A remnant being saved through grace and the rest being rejected on account of their blindness. This is what Paul is going to address. I say then, has God cast away his people? That is the Israelites. Certainly not. <clears throat> I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was the purest of all Israelites at that particular time. Uh, obviously, God hasn't cast away his people, or I wouldn't be a member of his church. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, knew beforehand. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, this is from 1 Kings 19, verses 10 and 14. Uh, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. <clears throat> but what does the divine response say to Elijah? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. To Elijah, it looked like all of Israel had forsaken uh, the Lord, except for him. He was the only one who had not. And uh, apparently, he wants uh, the Lord to uh, bring destruction on the bunch, including himself. He'd rather be dead than alive anyway. Uh, even so then, <clears throat> at this present time, <clears throat> just like there was in the days of Elijah, there is a remnant according to the election of grace, even now uh, amongst the Israelites. Even though the masses have rejected Jesus of Nazareth, there is a small portion of Israelites who have embraced him nonetheless. And if they were received by grace, then it is no longer of works. It wasn't because of what they did, which is the way they thought. Uh, trying to be good enough to be approved by God, they worked hard at it. But these found salvation, and they didn't work for it. It was a, it was a gift. Of, of, it was grace that was given to them. And that's his point here. If they receive salvation freely, it is not of works. Otherwise, grace is, would not be grace. If they had to work for it, uh, the grace of God would be meaningless. What, what good is grace if you have to work for your salvation? That doesn't make sense. Uh, it's got to be grace or works. It can't be both. If it is of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. It's one or the other, grace or works, but it's not both. And that's uh, the apostle's point. Uh, the remnant of Israel <clears throat> who uh, found salvation were those who <clears throat> did not rely on their, uh, their heritage, uh, their ancestry. They accepted, they embraced uh, grace, a gift from God. And they didn't, they didn't have to uh, work for salvation. Uh, all the uh, one of the things that I find most tedious among the 
Israelite laws. <clears throat> These are the rabbinical laws, really. It's not, uh, it's not laws given by Moses. Uh, is the washings, the various washings they had to go through. Uh, they would have drove me crazy to have to follow this process when it came to washing everything. Uh, these who found salvation, it wasn't because they, they, were, they were doing all the washings. It wasn't because they ate with clean hands. It was because of, of grace. It was a gift that God gave. And that's the, that's the hard thing to accept, is the fact that we don't have to work for salvation. Uh, it's a gift from God. It's an it's act of grace on his part. Uh, he, he gives grace to whom he chooses. And from what we know through the scriptures, he chooses to give grace uh, to those who believe him. I mean in the full sense of the term, believe him. It's not simply a, a, a belief, but it's a belief to, uh, that acts on itself. What then? <clears throat> Israel has not obtained what it seeks, salvation. But the elect, they have obtained it and the rest were blinded. The elect were those few that God chose out of the many uh, to find grace. Okay, they're, they're the remnant. They're called the elect, and they were chosen by God, elected by God. Uh, he chose them. He, choos he chooses everyone. It's not predestination, as Calvinism advocates. It's a choice that the Lord makes For those who hear what he has to say and trust it, a person who has belief, they don't merely believe, but they act on their belief. Uh, it's, it's works of faith, talk about works. That's a work of faith. I believe, therefore, I do. Uh, and then, of course, if I don't do, that evidence is the fact that I don't believe, at least not enough. I believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but I don't believe enough to do what he wants me to do. I know what he wants me to do. He wrote it in a book, and I read the book. And in the book, there are instructions for all of us. And when I discover what my obligations are to the Lord, uh, I either do them or I do not. Faith acts on what it knows. And if there is no action, there is no faith. You can't, you can't cut it any finer than that. It comes down, it, you, baptism is a, is a clear point. Uh, the Bible is very clear. Uh, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Very simplistic. And yet the vast majority of the religious world uh, does not believe that. 
And the thing is, if you don't believe that, you don't believe God. Uh, he makes it, he makes it uh, that anyone who rejects his word has rejected him. John chapter 12, verse 48. So we want to think about that as we live our lives. Uh, am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? Well, if I'm not, there's something wrong with my faith. That's where the problem's at. And that's where I've got to fix it. I've got to fix my faith. Uh, I've got I've to get to where I have uh, more confidence in the Word of God, in the things that He'd have me to do. That's, that, that, I think, is the great problem that exists in our society, is a, a misunderstanding of faith and the role it plays in our salvation. And that uh, it's really heartbreaking that it's that way. Israel was looking for salvation, but only the elect actually found it. The rest were blinded. They were blinded by their preconceived notions. They were blinded by their former beliefs. They couldn't see the truth. You know, uh, years ago when I first started studying the Bible, I think the thing that troubled me the most was uh, hardening our hearts. That bothered me a lot. Uh, I worried if uh, I had hardened my heart and becoming a Christian was meaningless. Uh, it bothered me a lot. Uh, Bill told me if, uh, if I had hardened my heart, I wouldn't have become a Christian. He said, that's evidence that your heart hasn't been hardened. And uh, as we live, when we say no to the Lord time and time again, there's the possibility that we can harden our hearts and reach a point where we can no longer see the truth. We've, uh, we've become blind to the truth. It's something we do to ourselves. Uh, and that troubled me a lot that I might do that. So I tried to quit saying no to the Lord. And when he wanted me to do something, I, I tried to get in a position where I just did it and not uh, argue about it. And just as it is written in the, the Old Testament, <clears throat> God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. He didn't give them a spirit of stupor that way, not directly, uh, but his ways and his will they found to be tedious and obnoxious. That's like we're south. Uh, uh, well, again, baptism comes into play again today. So, some people find the notion of baptism for remission of sin to be so repugnant that they, they will not, they cannot accept it. It's, it's silly. You can't wash away sin. It's silly to even think that that would happen when a person is baptized. They're so convicted that baptism 
can have nothing to do with sin, that they won't be baptized. And uh, they, they live that way throughout their lives. Uh, I've met a lot of them, and there's not much you can do. David says in verse 9 from the 69th Psalm, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. He's talking about the human ability to uh, blind ourselves, harden our hearts uh, to the point where it's impossible for us to turn uh, from our, our place, the place where we are, and turn to God. We have to be uh, very careful of that. And it comes on us by saying no. Uh, in life in general, uh, if a person uh, commits adultery on his wife, he, uh, he, he fornicates with someone, the guilt uh, is, is overwhelming. The guilt is just absolutely overwhelming because uh, of what he did to God and to his wife, his family. And he, he, feels, he feels so much guilt, so much contempt for himself, and he vows that he'll never do that again. And some time passes by and uh, someone else uh, catches his eye. And even though he, he didn't want to do this again, he did. And after he, he's committed the sin, he feels, he feels bad again. The difference is he doesn't feel as bad the second time as he did the first time. The first time he found it absolutely devastating. The second time, he was terribly disappointed with himself, but he wasn't devastated by it. And if he continues on that course, he'll get to the point where he can commit adultery time and again and not think twice about it. It won't bother him anymore. He becomes numb to reality. He becomes numb to the truth. And then the devil's got him. It's a terrible, terrible thing to allow our hearts to get hardened. And it, we probably don't even know it happened. If someone were to tell us, I believe your heart's hardened, I'd say, oh, I, you're crazy. Nothing wrong with me. But you might see signs of it. <clears throat> I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? The Israelites. They rejected the Son of God. Is there no recourse? Is there no way for them to turn back to the Lord? Whoops, wrong button. <clears throat> Should stumbling Jews be forever barred from divine grace? Certainly not. There's still grace. But through their fall, <clears throat> to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles are enjoying uh, the fruits of the kingdom of heaven 
and the Israelites who, who throughout their history has occupied that place, all of a sudden they're on the outs and it provokes them to jealousy and maybe through jealousy finally to repentance. Now if their fall is riches for the world, if the, if the gospel went to all peoples and their failure is riches for the Gentiles in particular, the Gentiles would have access to the kingdom of God. Well, how much more their fullness if God receives them back? How much greater would that be for both the world and the Gentiles if God should re accept these rebellious Israelites even after they bucked up and said no uh, again? What if God showed his grace that he was willing to forgive them? What kind of an effect would that have on the world? That's one of the reasons why you and I can be comfortable about our salvation is because God is so free with grace. Even though sometimes we may be foolish to the nth degree, he can still find a place of forgiveness I don't understand how, but he does, and that's what matters. And we see this in his acceptance of the rebellious Israelites. <clears throat> riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles. I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh those who are Israelites, and save some of them. Uh, he, was, uh, he, he magnified his opportunity to present the gospel to the Gentiles that the Israelites might be provoked to think long and hard about what they're sacrificing just because they refused to listen to the Lord. Uh, he understood what the opportunity was if by their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Well, that's the same as uh, as, a Gentile, as us. We were dead. We were on death row. We received divine grace. And because we did, we got off a of death row. Well, the same thing is true about the Israelites. By being cast away, the world will be reconciled to God. How much more if they are resurrected from the dead and brought back into the fold? If the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Uh, he's fixing to go into another discourse. Uh, the jealousy between the Israelites and the Gentiles. Uh, they, were gen they were jealous of one another. The Israelites thought they were better than the Jews because throughout their history, they've had a relationship with Jehovah. 
the Gentiles thought they were better than the Jews because God uh, cut them off the vine and grafted the Gentiles in. He did away with you so he could accept us. So that gives us a leg up. Each group thought they were better than the other group because of what had transpired uh, during this time in history. If some of the branches were broken off, that's the Jewish branches, and you, you Gentiles, being a wild, wild olive tree, you've got a, a, an olive tree, I don't know what you call a, a tame olive tree, but you've got an olive tree that produces good olives. And then there are the wild trees that are scattered everywhere. He's talking about if some of the branches on this good vine, good tree, were broken off, and God took you off of this, this wild tree and grafted you into the good tree, and you were grafted in among the Israelites that remained, and you were with them, and you became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. If, if the Gentiles were grafted into the olive tree, the same, I should have drawn a picture, the same olive tree that, the, uh, that made up Israel. Israel was uh, the olive tree that produced the olives. If the Gentiles were grafted into that very same tree, they're going to feed off of the very same root because the same root's gonna feed all the branches. Whether it's a natural branch, whether it's a branch grafted in, it doesn't make any difference. They all feed off of the same root, the root being, of course, the Lord. Uh, so that would make them all uh, kindred spirits. Do not boast against the branches, you Gentiles. Do not boast. <clears throat> but if you do boast, remember, you do not support the root. The root supports you. They had no reason to boast because even though the Israelite branches were cut off and Gentile branches were grafted in, they had no reason to boast because their life stream was from the root. If you're going to boast in anything, boast in the root. But you can't boast in yourself because you feed off the root. And the same thing was true about the Israelites. They fed off the root. Now that the Gentiles have been grafted in, they feed off the root. And no one had any reason to boast. But they were all boasting. None of them really understood uh, what was taking place. You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. God broke off a bunch of branches to make room for me. What does that say about me? It, doesn't that mean I'm better than they? This is their thinking. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. It wasn't to make room for you Gentiles. It's because they refused to believe God's son. They were broken off. And you now, you Gentiles, you stand because you trust God's Son. It was by faith 
that the Jews remained branches in the olive trees. It was by faith that the Gentiles were grafted into the olive tree. So both were saved by, by grace and both are sustained by the root, by the Son of God. Do not be haughty, but fear. You shouldn't have the big head. And that's the, that's the problem. That's a problem sometimes. Uh, sometimes religious people uh, have a tendency to look down on sinners. As though, you know, I'm better than a sinner. Uh, that's, that's not true. We're not better than the sinner. The difference between you and I and the sinner is that we believe in Jesus and he sustains us. The sinner does not believe and he has no sustenance from the Lord. Jesus said he had come to show us the abundant life that we could live more abundantly. The, the Christian should be living the best life possible, whereas the sinner is not. But it wasn't our doing. It wasn't because we're good. It wasn't because we were better than others. We were very fortunate. We were very fortunate that we found the Lord and that he accepted us. So rather than boasting, we should be humbled by reality. But a lot of times it doesn't work that way. A lot of times it doesn't work that way. <sighs> For if God did not spare the natural branches, if God cut off those Jews who did not believe in Jesus, he may not spare you either if you start dumping your chest rather than giving glory to God, which would be, of course, an act of unbelief. Be careful what happened to the Jews can happen to you Gentiles just as well. God grafted you in and God can cut you off. That's his doing rather than ours. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. <clears throat> the thing in, in religion today that's very popular is to make people feel good about themselves. I hear uh, certain preachers who are interviewed by television networks because uh, they have a big church or whatever. And most all the time, they talk about their role as, as comforting and exalting their churches. It's their job to give comfort to those people. And they work in that direction. Well, Paul's saying here, consider both the goodness and the severity of God. Uh, whenever you preach the truth or teach the truth, uh, 
most likely two things are going to happen. Somebody will find comfort from it because whatever it was you talked about, that's the way they live. That's what they have done. And another person will be pained by it because that's not the way they live and that's not what they have done. Uh, one, one group is uh, edified, whereas the other group is devastated by the very same sermon. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. You got to see God as he really is, as he truly is. On those who fell, we see the severity of God. But towards you Gentiles, we see the goodness of God. Make no mistake, the God who grafted you into the olive tree can, if he chooses to, cut you off again. So behold it, God as he is, not as you want him to be. The Lord reveals himself to us. He shows us who he is. We see a complete picture of God. But that severe side, a lot of people don't want to see that. They fear that. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, that is the Israelites, if they don't keep on rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, these are the fallen, those who fell, those who were cut off, who felt the severity of God. They also, if they don't continue to rebel against God, they will be grafted back in to the olive tree, they can be forgiven and find salvation. For God is able to graft them in again. Sometimes it's a, I see how much different me and God are from one another. He forgives and I, I don't know if I could as, as often as he does. If you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? If you Gentiles from the wild olive tree can be grafted into a cultivated tree, take root and live off the root, how much more could the Israelites who turned back to God, if they were to want to be grafted back in, how much easier would it be for them knowing what they know? Uh, I think we'll stop here. Yeah.
let us stop here. We'll have to go through the whole section, and we won't make it. Do you have any questions? The olive tree I, 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 I used to find very difficult to understand. Cutting off branches and putting in branches, I didn't understand any of that for a while. But I think I do now.